Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the biggest news of the week. Of course, you know this week there is no bigger news or event than Bayern Munich facing off with Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga in a match that will have major title implications. If you did not check out the preview show, I suggest you go and do that. We dove into who might win the game, what Tuchel's lineup could look like. We looked at the injuries for Bayern Munich heading into the match and why Bayer Leverkusen is such a dangerous opponent. But even with the preview show, it wasn't enough time to really cover the magnitude of this one and what it means. And I want to talk about that to open up this show because there is a tangible excitement and tension going on right now when thinking about this game and seeing how people are reacting to it for Bayer Leverkusen as a club and their fans. This is massive. This is their opportunity to take down the big red juggernaut of Bayern Munich, and they are pretty equipped to do so. Javi Alonso, as the team's manager, has done a phenomenal job. He has that team revving. They have not lost a match all year, which to this point is crazy. I mean, to think about being able to get this far without having that big of a misstep, I mean, it is really impressive. But it's not just Alonso that is driving that train, so to speak. He is he is the conductor over quite a powerful engine, and that engine has very, very... Uh, good players as part of it. Uh, you look at Florian Verts, you look at Granit Xhaka, you look at so many of the players there at Bayer Leverkusen, and they have not just had good seasons, but they're having great seasons. And they're, more than anything, doing it together. I mean, this is a, a well-oiled machine. It is a unit that is functioning at a high level, and they are making life miserable for just about everyone that they play. So I think they have the perfect manager for this squad. It's a mix of young players and veterans. It's one that needs to not just be coached tactically, but also be coached mentally in terms of how the coach handles the players, how he communicates with them. And with Alonso's career and how he played and how under control he was at all times and his attitude toward everything, you can see what kind of impact he could make on young players and how he could relate to them. Because again, his career wasn't that long ago and he played for massive clubs. He was a, a renowned superstar. You, you can see why this has clicked for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, you can see why Florian Verts, for one is such an impactful player for club when he can't really put it all together for country. Uh, Alonso just seems to have that knack. And at one point, I really thought Hansi Flick had that same magic touch. And I think he still kind of does. But what I think happened with Flick in terms of Germany was that he had become too close to some of the players. And that respect from player to coach that needs to be there just wasn't there anymore. It was almost as if Hansi Flick was the fun uncle instead of the dad, if that makes sense. Because seeing how Flick was challenged in the Amazon documentary, seeing how players ignored the rules, they were late, 
it, it just seemed like that respect that needs to be there to have that bond between player and coach. It just wasn't there anymore. And I think when you look closely at this Leverkusen squad, they have it. There is respect there. The team is functioning under him. They're following Alonso's orders. They're implementing the tactics that he's putting out there. And I think he has not just built the relationships with these players, but he's maintained them and cultivated them even more to the to the point where now this team takes the pitch and they're not looking to win. They're expecting to win. And I don't even think Bayern Munich can say that this season. I mean, as good as Bayern has been, and they have been good, let's be honest. We talked a lot about a win is a win last week. Results-wise, they have been very good. And when you want to dive down and look at the performances, and, and of course you're going to see a lot of things that you don't like, the bottom line is, and, and again, it goes back to that, a win, a win is a win, dang. They've gotten those results to this point. When we looked at a win, and a, a win is a win last week, it kind of built up to this moment, though, because the a win is a win philosophy gets you here. It puts you in the position to have a big game like this. But you have to hope that throughout all of those games that you scratched out, throughout all of those miserable performances you had but still were able to eke out a win, you have to hope that there was something building within those and that there was a familiarity brewing between the players, that there was a chemistry being built up. And we haven't fully seen that at Bayern Munich yet this season. We've seen glimpses of how great they can be. We know, of course, the talent on the roster is superior. Can they get there? Can they take this moment can they seize it, capture the victory, and then start to pull away and win the league? It's a big question, and it's not an easy answer. I, I If you listen to the preview show, I'm picking Bayern Munich to win this match, picking to win 3-2. But I will say this. It's not like I'm supremely confident in picking them to win this one. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen has the capability to knock them off. And in reality, Leverkusen doesn't even really need to win the game. A win would be fantastic for them for a lot of reasons, especially when it comes to establishing themselves as the dominant player in the Bundesliga this season. But they just need a draw to keep Bayern at bay. And that's the scary part, because if this becomes a tight match that that is knotted up, Leverkusen doesn't need to actually go out and win it. They just need to walk away with a tie, keep Bayern at this distance, and then continue to try and take care of business on their end, essentially controlling their own destiny, which I know is an overplayed phrase in sports, but that that's essentially what they're working toward. Will Bayern let that happen? Will Bayern take chances if they were in that if they are in that position? What I'm really interested in, if say this game is at 1-1 or 2-2 or nil-nil at some point deep in the second half, what will Alonso do with his team? Will he YOLO it and just go for the win? Or will he play it the smart way, at least the smart way to what some people would think they should do, and just play for the draw, get the point, and keep Byron at bay once again? Uh, that's, to me, one of the big subplots of the match that that has not been talked about a lot 
I mean, Leverkusen holds the cards here. If they come out and they get a lead on Bayern Munich, which is fully possible, let's let's be honest. Bayern is banged up. They're going to have players returning from injury who are not going to be that sharp. Manuel Neuer has missed all week so far in practice. This is Thursday when I'm recording this. He's expected to be back on Friday, but he's got knee issues. The situation is not ideal for Bayern Munich by any means. So we're going to learn a lot about Leverkusen and what kind of championship mentality they have. And we're going to learn a lot about the resilience and fight of Bayern Munich. We know the talent is there. Has it come together enough to the point where they can take down the league leader and put themselves in a position to, to take over first place at some point here? I, I think that they are in a good spot. And I think that, that Bayern, if the talent functions together and we see that attacking mindset that hasn't always been there, I think they're going to be fine. But there hasn't been enough evidence to tell us that Byron can consistently pull off that kind of performance a couple of weeks in a row. And I was a, a big fan of how they played last week. They dispatched Gladbach in, in a match that could have easily been a pitfall for them, but they took care of business. So now you have Bayer Leverkusen, yet another challenge, one that's better equipped to take down Bayern Munich than Gladbach ever was. So I'm excited. I am psyched up to watch this one. It's going to truly be one of the treats of the season. I know a lot of us look at the Champions League and see that as the ultimate high-level competition, but it does not get any better than a what I would consider a backyard brawl between two German teams fighting for first place. And legitimately for the first time, even after last year, how Bayern scraped to their, their to that Bundesliga Bundesliga title. This feels like Bayern is in a more precarious situation than even last year entering that last match day, which again, I don't think many people expected Bayern to walk out with the league crown, but somehow Dortmund folded. Musiala had the miracle goal and the rest is history. So I'm enjoying every second of this and I am looking forward to the match. One of the other big topics that happened this week was, of course, the the loan of Franz Kratzig to FK Austria Wien. And let's be honest, Kratzig got off to a fantastic start under Thomas Tuchel. He was like a bolt of energy, just ripping through the team whenever he took the pitch. He looked like he was having fun. He was excited. He was fearless on the ball. He was running into the box, making plays, scoring, scored a couple of goals. Kratzig looked great and everybody jumped on that train pretty early. And and listen, I was excited for him, but it, it was again a situation where this was a young kid pretty much came in sight unseen and, and I think surprised a lot of people. When things started to speed up a little bit and the gameplay got a little bit faster and it got a little bit more intense. Kratzig couldn't make that same kind of impact. And as such found himself as the third choice left back, maybe even fourth choice. If, if you count the fact that Mizrahi can jump over and play left back, which he might do against Bayer Leverkusen. Apparently, if you believe some reports, a build had that note on Wednesday, but either way, Kratzig looked at the situation, saw that he was the third or fourth option, decided he needed a loan, and I think it was a smart move for him. It was a smart move for Bayern Munich because Bayern's going to be able to take a look at him now, see what they really have when he gets consistent playing time. 
The one thing I will say about Kratzig is that it's hard to be as impactful as he appeared to be in those first few performances when you're not getting regular playing time. And it's when it's sporadic like that, you're kind of just acting on a whim when you get out there because you're not used to the, the speed of play. You're not used to the intensity, the physicality. You can only simulate that so much in training. And when the bright lights are on, and even though Saarbrücken wasn't, and I believe Saarbrücken was the last time he really got significant playing time, if my memory serves me correctly, he didn't do so well. And I think that that probably soiled uh, some of the season for him in the eyes of Thomas Tuchel. So you could see how Kratzig fell off. And listen, he is a, a young player. He's still got a lot of potential. He's got some versatility to him with the way that he can move up and play wing or he can play as the six. Not totally unlike what Josip Stanisic can do in terms of switching around the different positions. Truly, Kratzig could develop into a player that's valuable to have on a roster. But I think the mission for this loan is to see, is he ever going to be able to evolve and be a true starting first team player? Or is he going to be a bench utility man? Is that going to be his ceiling? And once Bayern Munich is able to determine that, they'll know how they need to react and what they need to do. In the end, I feel like he's going to go on this loan. I think he'll have some good games. He'll have some bad games. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to show enough to convince Bayern Munich that he could be a viable option as a starting left back at any time in the near future. So what I do think is going to happen is he'll have some ups and downs on this loan. He'll probably accept another loan next season and then get sold. And I guess that would be the 25-26 season. So that's my prediction for Kratzig. And it's nothing against the kid. I, I actually like him a little bit. I uh, think he has potential, but he's going to have to go out and prove it. And he's going to have to prove it consistently. And that's a tough task. And as, as we've seen with many young Byron players who go out on loan, it's not that easy. Even when you're going to what is expected to be a lower league, it's it doesn't always work out the way that these players think it will. And Bayern Munich, more often than not, has gotten the inkling that the players just aren't up to par for what Bayern Munich needs. And they often end up resulting in a, in a sale at some point. So Kratzig is off. Best of luck to him. Uh, let's see if he can take advantage of that situation. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back to talk about some of the most recent transfer rumors. We're going to talk about Alexander Pavlovich a little bit. Uh, we're also going to take a quick look at a poll that Sky ran, uh, allowing fans to vote for Germany starting 11, the Euros. I thought that was kind of fun. And then just some very quick thoughts on the latest episode of True Detective and also the premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Of course, this is for Bavarian Podcast Works. Appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first segment there. I really wanted to dive quickly into the transfer rumors that emerged this week. One is really familiar to everyone at this point. Bayern Munich is still linked to Ronald Arujo, but that took a little bit of a swerve because as this goes on and, and time goes on, it's becoming more and more clear that FC Barcelona is in some financial trouble and there's only so many levers that can be pulled and so much money that can be squeezed out of certain entities. At some point, they have to start selling off their assets. And Arujo is one of those players who you would think would be able to draw 
quite a significant financial uh, fee for FC Barcelona, right? So we know that Bayern Munich is interested. Manchester United has expressed interest in him as well. But the most recent reports from sport coming out of Spain indicate that Bayern Munich is sort of acting like a shark at this point, where they know that Barca is going to have to sell him, where they know that Barca needs money. So instead of maybe getting that nine-figure fee that Arujo may be worth, Bayern might be able to get him just a little bit cheaper, which of course for Bayern is always great, but would also be enough cash to make it worthwhile for FC Barcelona. I am still in the same position on this deal. I'm perfectly content to roll with the three center backs that Bayern Munich currently has on the roster. I still think Matthijs Delict is the top option there when he's healthy and when he's in form. I know those both of those things have been in question for good parts of this season. I like Dio Upamakano and what he brings. I like what I've seen of Kim Min Jae. I think that's a good trio of center backs. I think that is a good rotation worthy trio of center backs, although Thomas Tuchel seems not to see things the same way. I don't think Bayern needs to go out and spend 80 million on a center back. I just, I don't see it. The only caveat I could say is if Delict is so unhappy under Tuchel, which could be possible, and I think you know we'll we'll start to see how Delict really feels come out in, in the next few weeks. Uh, I could see maybe at that point you have to go out and get a top level center back, and Arujo would he would fit the mold. He's a younger guy. He's got some versatility to him, but he's mostly known for his ability to play center back. And what Tuchel allegedly likes about him is his, the way he is able to progress the ball up the field, which has been a criticism that Tuchel has had of Delict. So if Delict moves on, fine. You have to go out and you have to get a center back of requisite quality. I would understand the move. If Delict does not move on, I think this is ridiculous. And I think it's a misstep because you're again building this team in the vision of Thomas Tuchel, a guy who during the summer will only have one year left on his contract. And there's no indication that he's going to stick around Bavaria for any time after that. So I think that Tuchel, again, this, this, this input that he has at this point, it seems like it could be impacting the club's line of thinking their transfer strategies to the point where he could be gone and they could, end up with this team full of parts that he wanted, but might not actually fit or even be needed. So how that situation plays out with Arujo, I actually am starting to feel like Byron's going to make this move that they're going to go out and get him. And then delict is going to leave this summer. So I kind of think it will work backwards. It won't be reactionary to delict leaving. It will be the impetus for delict to leave. And I sort of think that's how it's going to play out because it seems like Tuchel really wants him. It seems like the club is going above and beyond to please Tuchel. Again, I I don't know why, but that's what they're doing. They're going to to go out and try and get the players that he wants. He really wants Arujo. And if it happens, I think that will absolutely be the end of Delict. And it wouldn't shock me if Kim Min Jae or Dai Upamakano also started to get a little bit antsy about their own positions on the team because what we know about Tuchel is when he wants someone and he brings them in, they're going to get playing time. And that can be at the expense of anyone. So uh, very interesting situation. And of course, Byron always looking for a bargain uh, could even get him at a figure lower than many are expecting. 
one of the other big transfer rumors that has been out there for a while is, is Leroy Zane to Liverpool. And with Jurgen Klopp leaving, it automatically struck me as there might be some doubt about what could happen with that kind of move. But Fabrizio Romano chimed in uh, in writing for Caught Offside saying that he can't see the move happening, uh, that there is really no inclination for Zane to make that that transfer. So there have been a lot of stories, and there's still going to be many stories about what happens with Zane. He, he has been linked to Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, Man City, Liverpool. I mean, so many teams. I think Chelsea was in there as well. I don't see him leaving at this point. I think he's happy where he's at. His family, by all accounts, is very happy living where they're living. I think something would have to go catastrophically wrong for Zane to leave the club at this point. Now, we've seen him become frustrated in recent weeks. We've seen his performances dip a little bit since the fall. I think all of that can be worked through by Zane. He's he's a streaky player a moody player at times got to get himself together. Uh, Tuchel has to find a way to help him. I don't know that the Tuchel is the nurturing type uh, with players who might be struggling with confidence. Uh, just if you look back at some of his other teams, other players that fit this mold, they didn't exactly thrive under Tuchel. So, with Zane, I would expect that that he's probably going to re-up his deal this summer, but it might be as long as after the Euros uh, because that's what he indicated before. It doesn't seem like he wants to get all that involved with re-upping a deal or negotiating at this point. He wants to let the season play out. And it's probably smart for someone like him because he's got to maintain his focus. He's got to get back on track to all the things that he was doing in the Hinronda that were so successful He's dipped. There's no denying it. And he's done it many, many times before. It doesn't mean he's bad. But, you know, again, when you're racking up this much mileage like he has this season and Tuchel just rides him into the ground, uh, I, I think that you need to to take a step back at some point, get some rest, clear your head, and then reapproach things. So hopefully that's what happens with Zane once they get past this slate of games. Would be ideal to me to rest him after the Lazio match in the Champions League. But we'll see if Tuchel does that. He has not been really inclined to rest some of his favorite players. Kane, Zane. I mean, when Kim Min-Jae and Daya Upamakano are healthy, they pretty much play all the time. I mean, Tuchel has his favorites. He has the players that he likes. And I'm not even saying that that's abnormal. I mean, coaches have favorites like teachers have favorites. Let's not pretend that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, I think sometimes having such strong feelings about players can can really make a coach blind to some things. And if anybody has ever coached at any level, you know that you start to rely on players. You build a trust in those players. You expect things from those players. And you just think that they're always going to be there. And it's easy to overlook the fact that everybody takes a dip once in a while, that everybody might lose confidence once in a while, that everybody just needs to recharge once in a while. So I'm hoping that Tuchel recognizes that Zane gets it together and then nobody has to worry about these stupid Liverpool rumors. Sorry, Tom, but I don't think you'll be getting Leroy Zane at Liverpool next summer. One of the final things uh, I wanted to get to before that sky poll was uh, something that I think has, has been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And that is the emergence of Alexander Pavlovich. We've talked about him quite a bit in recent weeks, but I wanted to say something quickly about him. 
the most important thing other than the impact that he has made on the pitch this season is that it is starting to show that there is some hope for development on the Bayern Munich campus because for so long, it seemed like Bayern was not able to pull players from their campus and have any type of real confidence that they were going to pan out. You could go back to Pep Guardiola's time. You can go to Carlo Ancelotti and all of those times. You want to talk about the most recent history. You want to go back a decade, look under Jopankis when there actually was still a bit of a pipeline during his, of course, Champions League winning time at Bayern Munich. The pipeline over time has dried out. Uh, and it really became something of a joke among fans uh, because Bayern could not push players through their system. And it has become a bit of an epidemic. I think the primary job of any club, aside of winning the games on the first team pitch, is to build for the future from your youth system. And for so long, it seems like Bayern just has not been able to push the right buttons to get the right results and develop the right players. We've seen so many players be touted over the years. I mean, how many times have we heard this player's the next one? I mean, there are so many players we featured at BFW alone who we all start to look at and we're like, wow, this guy can really play. And then, you know, the time comes and then he can't play. So seeing Pavlovich do what he's doing, seeing what he has become and what he's developing into and how calm and such a steady presence he is on the ball. I'm very excited. And I know a lot of people want to temper their excitement and I'm doing that as well, because we all know what lies around the corner. I mean, there's always failure it seems, but this kid seems to have the mentality that he's going to be able to roll with things. He's going to be able to come out and perform even when he's not playing regularly, which is something I think Franz Kratzig struggled with. It's something with a lot of people that a lot of people struggle with. They even look at Chris Richards storing his time at Bayern Munich. The lack of consistent playing time is, I, I feel like, one of the things that really hindered him. And I think he's went on to develop and become a really nice defender. Uh, he just came at, to Bayern Munich at a very bad time when they had a lot of center backs. They had good quality at the center back position. It just it wasn't afforded to him to to get the field time that he needed. So. I look at Pavlovich, I see what what he's doing, I see the progress he's making, I see the crowd that's currently in the midfield, and, and let's be honest here, if Tuchel moves Mizrahi to left back this week, that probably pushes Rafael Guerrero into a starting role in the midfield, which is, in my mind, ludicrous, but what do I know? Uh, so there's a crowd for Pavlovich to work through, but he's he's handling himself well, so I think it's... It's fair to be excited if you're a fan and you should enjoy the success that he's having. And hopefully there are more of these kids rising through the system because that's what I, I know I personally want to see. I'm someone that enjoys the full club of Bayern Munich. I like seeing the Frauen do as well as they have done. I know recently they've had a couple of downturns themselves, especially in the Champions League there. But I like seeing how the club evolves and how they build their systems and their player development. And I want to see more Pavlovich's, or as Uli Honus recently said, more Thomas Muller's be able to rise through the system. And that ultimately is the end goal. Of course, you win on the first team. But after that, you have to develop talent so that you don't have to go out and spend $100 million on Harry Kane uh, during the summer. Uh, finally, uh, in terms of the footballing stuff, I wanted to run this poll by you because I, I thought it was kind of funny, the exercise. And... The end result. So Sky ran a fan poll to pick Germany's starting 11 
for the Euros under Julian Nagelsmann. So let me run this by. I would love to hear what you think about it. I'll give you my quick thoughts. Manuel Neuer at goalkeeper. Center backs are Antonio Rudiger and Mats Hummels. Left back is Robin Gozens. Right back, Nicholas Sula. Of course, Sula has been uh, taking some heat lately for his uh, fitness. Uh, we'll see if he's got the ability to play right back. I always liked Sula as a right back. I thought he was a very capable right back. I wouldn't mind seeing him there, especially given some of the other options that are out there for Germany. So Zula would be great for me. In the midfield, this is a 4-3-3 formation. They have Joshua Kimmich, Jamal Musiala, and Leon Goretzka. Perfectly fine with that, to be honest, in the midfield. I'll give you my final assessment, but that's not so bad for me. The front line in that 4-3-3 is Nicholas Fulkrug at striker, Leroy Zane, and Thomas Muller. Uh, depending on the formation here, I mean, if it was a 4-2-3-1, I'd want to see Muller as the 10, Musiala on the wing. Uh, those are the kind of things I'd like to see. But if you're talking about a 4-3-3, I'm okay with Muller being a wide attacker there. Either way. How do you feel about this? Is this the starting 11 that you think can get the job done at the Euros this summer? I know a lot of people probably would say no, but what other options does Germany have? Who would make an impact there? Uh, there are obviously a lot of players that could stake some claim to uh, a starting role. Ilkay Gundogan is, is definitely a player who it seems like is going to be in this starting 11 no matter what, but fans don't seem to, to rate him as highly as Julian Nagelsmann. I personally would probably move on from Gundogan from my starting 11 as well, but hey, I'm just a loser behind a microphone here. But either way, uh, drop me some comments what you think about that starting 11 because I, I thought it was pretty fascinating to see what fans thought. You know, if you, you look back at the last World Cup, you know, Flick not making the move to use full Krug as the, as the striker, I think was one of his major missteps and I think hurt him and hurt the team. Uh, by the time he figured out that he needed full Krug, it was too late. So, you know, live and learn, I guess, but uh, you know, the euros are definitely going to be one of the things that we all look at and follow during the summer or BFW. So I know you'll be right there with us. Let me know what you think about that 11. Finally, for real this time, uh, I want to just some quick, take some time for some quick notes on the two shows that I'm currently watching. True Detective Night Country. Another episode I thought it was better than the previous week. Again, we're getting a little bit more development. We're starting to see some plot lines uh, really start to shine through and some movement there while we're all still learning about the background of these characters and really what's driving and motivating the main cast that we have here. Uh, I liked the episode. I thought it was much better than the week before. Again, it's not going to get to that season one level. Nothing is. There is literally nothing touching that at this point in modern prestige TV. Uh, it, it's, you know, True Detective is a, you know, for a series that, that an anthology series that changes casts and crew every year. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to top that one, but this has been good. I would rate this episode as a four out of five. It kept me going, gave me just enough background on these characters, just enough plot movement and some interesting cliffhangery type stuff that happened at the end of the episode. So I'm looking forward to see how it continues to evolve. I think that the show could go one of two ways from this point. It could veer off and become bad. There's a possibility for that. 
or it can continue to crawl its way forward and and be a good show in many people's eyes. And by good, I mean a pretty good show. Not great. Not going to get into the upper echelon of you know all time TV seasons, but it, it, it a good worthwhile use of your time to watch it. Curb your enthusiasm. Now, if you've listened to me before, I, I've said it. I thoroughly love Kirby enthusiasm. Larry David, for the 29 minutes of uncomfortable behavior that he exhibits over the course of an episode, there's always that one-minute payoff where it all ties together. And it's done so in a brilliant fashion, and it almost always hits the mark. I have rarely come out of a Curb episode and been like, hey, it wasn't that good. I will say this is the first time in a long time. I think I had the reaction that I did. And I started to think about why I didn't really like this episode, which I rated as a three out of five. Now, three is not a terrible rating. And and I didn't dislike the episode. It just was not up to the same Curb quality. Now, Curb has literally two or three, four or five moments every show where you just, I find myself laughing out loud. I didn't have as many of those in this episode. Thought there was too much of a focus on some of the other characters, which is weird to say because Larry is involved in everything. But maybe it's that those characters that were so good throughout all those years, Funkhauser, Jeff, uh, Richard Lewis, all of the ones, uh, Susie, of course, you know, you never have enough Leon in any episode. There just wasn't as much interaction with those characters. Uh, even Cheryl and Ted, like those, there was always such good byplay between those characters and Larry that it elevated the show. I didn't think this premiere was at that level. It was good. It made me laugh. Just was not to me what I wanted. Maybe it's just because it was so built up in my head with this being the final season that it needed to be great. I'll say I'm I'm not out on it at all. I had some laughs with it. I'm expecting the season to continue to progress and get a little bit better with each episode. Uh, but I want to see more of Larry dealing with those traditional characters that we have seen throughout the years. And and listen, the interactions between Larry and the randos that he encounters is always good as well. This just wasn't as sharp for me as some of the other comedy that we have seen with Curb. So three out of five. I'm expecting it to get better. Uh, True Detective Night Country, four out of five. So there we go. Listen, that's going to wrap this one up, but I need to hear from you. I need to hear about how excited you are for this Bayern Munich, Bayern Leverkusen match. Uh, I'm pumped. I cannot wait. And I know that many of us here at BFW are feeling the same way. We've been uh, pretty excited all week about it. So let us know how you're feeling about it. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. Get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. You can get all of our talented and wonderful writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Enjoy the match. How can you not? Have a couple of beers on me, and we'll see you next time.